The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Hello, Paceliners. Michael Houghton here, a.k.a. Hottie. I am uh, standing in the little enclave of Playa del Rey. Now, this little Playa del Rey is a section of the city of Los Angeles. It's not far from Los Angeles International Airport. So if you hear a jet fly overhead, you know where I am. And it is here that the city of Los Angeles decided to experiment with something that is called a road diet. Now in this show, we're gonna explain what a road diet is and why it matters to cyclists and how cyclists can indirectly become the target of people frustrated with losing their lanes of traffic. That's coming up on this edition of The Pace Line. Line, the podcast on two wheels, and it is episode number 77. It's me, Fatty. I was gone last time, but I'm happy to be back. Patrick Brady, publisher of Red Kite Prayer, and Hottie, who is frankly just quite hot. Hmm. How are you guys doing? I'm fine. <laughs> that's, that's as brief, wow. that's as, brief that is... as Patrick Brady will ever be, folks, right there. I. How many words was that? I am fine. That was three words. Complete sentence. Pretty good. Well, I yeah. used a contraction, so actually it was only two words. Oh, was it I'm? Okay. Mm. <laughs> that was super succinct. That's right. <laughs> hey, Patrick, guess what? This is an audio program. It's okay to use words. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I was oh, trying to make man. space for hotties to say something. Oh, oh, the daggers are out. <laughs> I like this show already. <laughs> Uh, hey, guess what, guys? We're on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes, and Podbean. I think we're probably on other things as well. It's frankly hard to avoid us, no matter how hard you try. Um, today, guys, I would like to talk about one of the taboo, one of the taboo m- moments in in cycling, and that's crashing. Specifically, crashing on the road. Because in, in my opinion, crashing on the road is a much bigger deal than crashing on mountain bikes. Uh, first question, do you guys agree? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, the skidding, the tearing, the sound, I think, is much worse on the road. But for some reason, I know more people who have been airlifted off a trail than off the side hmm. of the road. So... Yeah, is that our threshold for bad well, <laughs> in cycle crashing? Thing. It's like, you know, yeah, my worst crash happened on the road. Actually, it happened off-road. I left the road. Um, that's a separate issue. But, you know, it's one of those things like, well, it's personally true. But 
I don't want to say anything that would uh, in some way denigrate or downplay uh, awful crashes that people have had off-road. That that does happen, and I I feel badly for those folks. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think it's mostly luck of the draw. Uh, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I'm going to leave the badness of the of the after effect of the crash out for a second and say why I think a road biking crash is worse. And that is, at least my experience is, I'm riding, I'm, I'm, I'm truly JRA, just riding along, and then suddenly I'm sliding. I have no indication that the crash is going to happen. It's just, bam, I'm down. And that is, in fact, what happened to me earlier this week. It was a... A uh, beautiful early morning ride. I was supposed to be doing three and a half hours of riding per uh, Jonathan Vodder's personal friend of mine. And <laughs> and uh, coming down from the summit of the Alpine Loop, uh, as it's called, American Fork Canyon, after one mile of descending, there is a hairpin, uh, a left-facing hairpin, uh, which we all call Hamilton Falls because there is a really famous picture of Tyler Hamilton crashing at that point in the Tour of Utah. And it had rained the night before, and uh, but I saw my wife and uh, another guy who was descending at the same time, not on the same ride as us, just riding at the same time. They got around it just fine, and I stopped worrying about it. And sort of, I didn't fly through the apex of it, but I took it at reasonable pace and then i was on my left hip just without even knowing that i was falling i was just bam down and uh i gotta tell you the moment after a crash can be so freaky um especially when you are just a couple of weeks from the race you've been training for for seven months um i mean mean that moment of you've got to be kidding me it, it, for me, it's not even the you've got to be kidding me. It is the awareness that after a crash, it takes a minute before all of the injuries really register in your brain. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a very vivid recollection of uh, coming down a road in France and the guy, you know, a couple hundred yards ahead of me going down and he tried to get up claiming that he was okay. And to finish the ride, in spite of the fact that he had a compound fracture in his femur. Um, (laughs) You just don't know how bad you're hurt when you crash. But I knew about that. And I thought, collarbone. I for sure broke my collarbone or something. And in fact, I hadn't. I was okay, except for a really good-sized raspberry on my left hip and, you know, some road rash on my elbow and any equipment damage completely destroyed uh, a nice set of rafa bib shorts oh Um, yeah i was wearing these shorts because i was out on like i said a three and a half hour ride and so i i intentionally got out my most expensive nicest race shorts for a long ride because they are super comfortable love the chamois blah 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 that's what you do that's what I do. It's what I did. And, you know, 
I I don't get free stuff like you guys do. I pay for my bib shorts. And that was I as soon as I stood up and saw this, I was like, wow, there goes 300 bucks. Um, that's how much they cost, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Super, super painful. <laughs> Just, oh man, they're ruined. And that's actually one thing that I wanted to bring up is I... I, w- I went to the Rafa site. I was going to buy myself another pair of the same shorts because I love them. They're in the Rafa Pro bib shorts. Really like them. Uh, hey, free ad, guys. Um, and I saw that Rafa has a crash repair uh, program, a free crash repair program. So I yeah. haven't done this yet. I haven't put them in the in the envelope and shipped them off. But as far as I can tell... Uh, I'm going to send these uh, these bibs back, and they're going to come back in usable shape. I'm not sure whether they patch them or replace a panel they or replace just panels. ditch them up. When, they when that stuff panel. when it when that stuff returns to people, you can't tell that it was ever damaged in the first place. They do a stellar job. Wow, um, you know, so that that costs them a little bit, but that's going to move me from being a hey, I like these shorts to hey, I like this company. Category. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, well, they wow. recognize that, you know, they're, they're making a premium product. People pay a premium price for it. And, you know, people want to feel like the company's really backing them up in some way. And so, yeah, a move like that instills just the kind of loyalty that you just exhibited. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, as far as the answer to, did I destroy or ruin any other equipment? No. Um, this was on my, and I've talked about this bike, my new bike before my felt FR one, uh, rode with disc brakes and I was riding at lower pressure. So I, I guess I kind of ha- was hoping that I'd get better traction, but you know, when a road's re- wet, sometimes you just go down riding and then sliding. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, I ran a pole just moments before we began recording this podcast and so far 102 votes are in and 83 percent of you agree it's worse to crash on the road bike oh yeah 83 83 percent yep yeah it's it hurts more probably arguably it hurts more but usually the rescue effort doesn't require going down a ravine usually (laughs) that's true (laughs) No, the EMT truck that pulled up to me had to do a 37-point turn to turn around, though. Wow. You know, I it have was, a... Cra- it was Patty, literally I, a one-lane road. I have a crash replacement program, too. It's a, my own crash replacement program for, for damaged <laughs> goods, like like those bib shorts. It's called Mrs. Hottie. That's and, great. And Mrs. Hottie has a fabulous sewing kit. And she has rescued more than... Uh, a handful of pairs of bibs and gloves and other things I have tattered by doing what you did the other day. She's an expert at it. She finds neat little ways to patch things up. And so even the free stuff I get, it's uh, Giordano, which I love. I love this company. Very great company. I had reviewed the Exo kit for them. And, and the Exo kit included these cool... Uh, knickers. The knickers had no lining in them. So you could wear them, you know, on a cool morning and up to like 70 degrees. Really versatile. And if it was cold out, you could actually wear like long socks with them and then overlap because the, the knicker itself went down below the calf. Love these bibs. And mm-hmm. I did something similar to what you did. Cold morning. It was kind of damp out. 
I thought I was being cool. I was running lower pressure, just like you were. But on Westlake Boulevard, descending into Ventura County, I washed out the front wheel, and down I went. Not very high speed, but bam, right on the left hip. Tore open my favorite bib shorts. Or at the time, they were my favorites. Uh, limped my butt home. Took them off. Handed them to Mrs. Hottie. And she promptly stitched them up. And they are still in service today. So, an excellent craft. That's awesome. Yeah. She's so cool with that. She she has saved me countless amounts of money replacing bibs. Um, yeah, is there a little stitch mark here and there in some of them? It's not perfect, but they Who still cares? work fine. I mean, I've got yep. I must have four pairs sitting in there right now that have got her handiwork done to them. And gloves too. I mean, I you know, you know how gloves are. You get oh, a pair yeah. of gloves you really like, and then you go down or they start to t- even if they just start to tear from from wear and tear, she she can grab them from me and stitch them back up and I put them back in service. That's fantastic. That's yeah. a such a valuable skill, uh, which I do not have. So, but that is cool. I I want to talk a little bit about after the crash and you know the the moments following. So I get back up and I am I'm okay. I am relieved to find that no, my collarbone is not broken. Nothing is really broken. Just you know a little bit you know scraped up and now suddenly incredibly timid. For the rest of the descent and i also have completely lost all of my motivation and i and i'm just you know i say to my wife uh, we're packing it in and i cut the ride about 45 minutes short just you know the, my, i rode as long as it took for me to get home from there and i was sort of on the fence thinking you know i'm being a real wimp here i should finish this ride i am you know i'm trying to be a really studious and obedient and fastidious uh you know rule keeper for for as i train with vodder's help but i just i just didn't have it in me i was just like i want to get home is that is that normal do most people after going down do you just go home or do you try to finish the ride was i being a wimp well last time i crashed i drove straight to rush river brewing company and bought a 12 pack of plenty the elder (laughs) yeah it all depends on whether you end up in the back of an ambulance or not i suppose is whether or not you finish that ride i mean look you know when i when the story i just told them i crash now we were quite a ways out and i thought and they were continuing to ride farther out and i thought you know the, the smarter thing here to do is even though i'm not hurt bad is to to roll back home i'm still gonna ride like 80 miles or something like that. Mm. It was cold out. And so I think it kind of depends, you know. Um, the, the problem with crashing is adrenaline rush masks a lot of things that could be wrong with you. And then you end up, you know, continuing that ride and maybe doing more damage or, you know, ex- just staving off recovery and healing, which you want to get to work on right away. Look, we're not getting paid, right? We don't have to stay in the tour or yeah. we don't have a team leader that we have to sacrifice ourselves for. It's okay. If we pack yeah. it in and go home and say, look, that's it. I went down. It hurt. I'm going to, I'm going to go home and regroup. Yeah. So uh, later that day, um, I, I did not, I did not email Vodders and say, Hey, this happened to me. Um, I just didn't. But later that day he emailed me just, apropos of this being a rough 
uh, week that he's given me because it's two weeks out from the Leadville 100 that I'm training for. This is my last hard training week. And he was just asking, how's it going? This is a, this is a hard week. And then I did reply. I said, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> well, I said, you know, I crashed and I am sore and stiff and otherwise I'm doing, I'm doing well. And I, I, I didn't mean that insincerely. I mean, I, otherwise I'm doing well. I'd been able to finish everything else that he had given me that week without particular difficulty. And he replied and said, I'm changing your workout to, for tomorrow, which is now today, to a 90-minute easy spin, which is a lot easier than the ride that I otherwise would be doing. Um, which was said, what? What were, you supposed to do? what were you supposed to do today? Um, to be honest, I don't remember at the moment. I just know it was a hmm. lot. It, it was, I think, um, it, it was a lot of time at 250 watts is what I really remember. <laughs> so um, I, it was, it was uh, climbing hard 250 watts for a certain, I think, two and a half hours. Um I'm pretty sure I did not get that right. I, I look right before I get out, and I know my time and go. Um, but now I'm just going to do 90-minute easy spin. He says, that takes it out of you. And I think that's a, that is valuable, useful information. We have to be adaptable, and crashes happen in training. And, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I don't think this is going to change what my finish time at Leadville is by at this point, mm-hmm. by anything at all. You just have to... And you have to make changes as the situation warrants. So that's my that is my Vodders and crash moment of the race. What would change your time at Leadville is if you went out right today and beat yourself up and started yeah, riding hard exactly and right. just you know again made those injuries hurt more. And that's what I mean. Yeah. That's why you have a guy like Jonathan on your side with his perspective. He yep. he knows how to treat an athlete when they've had a misstep or a step back or what have you, he goes, yeah, hit the reset button real quick and you'll be back at it. Yep. And that's my plan. Uh, so scabs going to heal. And by the time I'm two weeks away from today, I should be just fine. Ready to race again. Excellent. Enough of crashes guys. Next up, we're going to talk about diet, but not the kind that you're thinking of here on the pace line. The performances of my rivals have pushed me harder than ever before. So I want to pay tribute to all the riders for their sportsmanship over the last three weeks. We race hard against each other, we suffer together, but the most special thing is the camaraderie and friendship within the peloton. been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. 
Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. Patrick, hottie, fatty, we're on the paceline. And we're going to talk about the road diet. And I got to be honest, I've got this written down on my show notes here, and I have no idea what we are even talking about. What is a road diet? Yeah. And this is some fancy new LA-based kind of no-carb, high-carb, low-carb, what? <laughs> it, well, it's high, it's high tar. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> it, um, it's not just LA-based, too. This goes on all over the place. All over the world, probably. The general idea is is it's a way of dealing with uh, high traffic areas. One concept is that you, if a community wants to move traffic out of their area, or if they want to deal with a high volume of traffic or speeding in the area, uh, instead of accommodating the cars, you frustrate them by taking away lanes taking away parking in some cases and adding more pedestrian-friendly environments and obviously bike lanes as well. So it's called a road diet because you're putting the people who prominently and most often use the roads on a diet. You're, You're restricting or cutting back the amount of space the cars have in a particular zone. Hmm. Now, this can work with great success at times. I mean, you can obviously increase foot traffic and do a lot of cool things. Ciclovia is kind of born around the road diet. They, they actually eliminate cars for a day or two and allow the bikes and the, and the walkers to take over. Uh, road diet, though, on a, on a government planning sense is permanent or can be permanent. And um, this has been something that has been experimented with now for the last few weeks, at least uh, in, in my neighborhood the last few weeks, in Los Angeles, the most car-centric community on the planet. Uh, what happened was the city of L.A. Um, was sued by a couple of families, uh, some kids who were trying to cross a busy street called Vista Del Mar, which run, runs parallel to the coast right near LAX, had been killed trying to cross the street. Um, lots of people park on the non-beach side of the street and then play Frogger with their lives as they run across the busy Vista Del Mar. Now, Vista Del Mar is a thoroughfare. It's damn near a highway for folks who live down where kind of where Patrick used to live in, an area called the South Bay, and and it, they use this road to get up to, say, for instance, Culver City or Beverly Hills or points north of them. It's very busy. It's two lanes in each direction. So in part to deal with the danger that was going on there and the, and the speeds, the high speeds in that area, the city of L.A. decided that they would take away lanes on Vista Del Mar, effectively giving that street, putting that street and those drivers who use that street on a road diet. In addition, they also reduced lanes 
on a couple of connector streets to Vista Del Mar, and they've also uh, narrowed or taken lanes away on a very popular boulevard that a lot of people will know, Venice Boulevard. Uh, they've done this as Venice uh, approaches the beach area. Uh, they've taken away lanes there and added protected bike lanes in that zone. But Vista Del Mar became a real focal point for this road diet because commuters were claiming that by reducing the lanes from two in each direction to one in each direction, their commutes had jumped by 30 minutes to an hour each way. And doing that in Los Angeles is paramount to a criminal offense. You start adding Hmm. commute times to an already disastrous situation, and you are asking for political hell. And And the councilman who was behind this, this road diet, he heard about it right away. Um, people were not happy, and it became the subject of uh, protest um, and talk show hosts showing up and screaming there and yelling. There was talk of a recall. Yeah, there was talk of a recall. Um, the councilman's name was Mike Bonin, and this is his district here that where this happened. So this the road diet, at least on Vista Del Mar, had been going on for, uh, I think, uh, a couple of months. Um, and finally, just, just this week, uh, I guess Bonnet had heard enough and had found somewhat of a solution, too, to get people to stop parking on the non-beach side of the street um, by finding some parking on, you know, some beach parking lots closer to the beach. And he has announced now um, that the road diet, at least on this popular beach thoroughfare, will be gone. He made that announcement uh, on his Facebook page, so not really a press conference, but here's how that, here's what he said regarding getting rid of the road diet. Now, there's no precise science and there's no single toolkit to guide us on how to make our neighborhood streets safe. It involves trying new things, it involves taking some risks, and it involves making tough decisions. I've never been afraid to do that, and I don't think I'd be a very good public official if I were. But I also wouldn't be a very good public official if I didn't listen to my constituents, if I didn't acknowledge when I made a mistake, and if I didn't try to fix those mistakes. And that is what I'm doing today. For those of you who have been inconvenienced over the past couple months by traffic gridlock, for those of you who have been late to work, and for those of you who have missed bedtime with your toddler, I am sorry. We are doing our best to make this right. I can't promise that the city's efforts to improve road safety won't have any impact on your commutes. Speed kills, and we need to slow down in certain areas to save lives. But the level of gridlock created by Vista Del Mar was unacceptable, and thanks to Supervisor Janice Hahn, it was unnecessary, and now we have an alternative. Now, Janice Hahn was the supervisor that helped uh, Councilman Bonin find the parking necessary to deal with the situation where people were parking on the non-beach side and trying to cross the street. Why does a cycling show care about this issue? Well, because in some cases, in many cases, and in this instance, bike lanes were added, protected bike lanes were added where car lanes were taken away. Not in not in all the mileage that they talked about in the road diet, but much of it. Now there's these protected bike lanes and a lot of signage, and a lot of the anger that was generated around this road diet was directed towards cyclists because as cyclists, we benefited by the fact that lanes had been reduced and bike lanes had been added. There were other, the anger was being directed a lot of ways. Councilman Bonin, obviously, the folks, the the neighborhood safety folks who were behind this movement to, to implement the road diet, they heard it too, as as did cyclists. I mean, we were yelled at too for, you know, being partially uh, responsible, if you will, for, for this lane reduction. But again, Vesta Del Mar is going to be restored over the next few weeks. 
that said, some of the some of these other lanes that were taken away on some of these other streets, they will continue to move forward. There's going to be a task force put together. They're going to try to examine this, listen to all sides, appease everyone, and see if they can come up with a future. But Patrick, you know the stretch of road really, really well. What were your yeah. what were some of your impressions about doing a road diet? In the, and, and in general, what have, what have you observed about road diets? Well, well, here's the thing. Most of the places where they do road diets, it's to make a community more livable, okay? They've done them in such a way that uh, commute times aren't affected, that uh, just as much traffic manages to get through, but it makes it easier for pedestrians to, you know, leave cars and go to stores, cross streets. It's easier for cyclists to get through an area, um, to choose to stop and, you know, not feel like, oh God, I got to get out of here. Um, and so road diets, you know, have been really effective at making areas where, you know, shopping and dining take place more livable, more friendly. That stretch of Vista Del Mar is nothing but people parking to go to the beach. And so the first question I have for you is this parking that was found, is this free parking or will people be asked to pay for this parking uh, like at Dockweiler? Yeah, it is. You're right. It's right there at Dockweiler. The county supervisor, Janice Hahn, is providing some free parking down there. I think what she's okay. trying to well, do is... Well, that's the only way it makes yeah. any difference right. because people were parking on Vista Del Mar so that they could park for free. Mm-hmm. You know, what they really need to be thinking about are some opportunities to cross because, you know, except for... Um, not El Segundo, that one light there at Dockweiler, you've got two, what, good one-mile stretches of road where there's no safe way to str- uh, to cross the street. Yep. So, you know, yeah, everybody who was parking on the east side of Vista Del Mar was taking their lives in their hands trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, drivers seeing cyclists on Vista Del Mar on Tuesday and Thursday mornings doing the new pier ride, um, yeah, they, they're going to be upset about that. And they're doubly so because you've got all these cyclists on the road when there's a bike path right there running parallel to it where cyclists could conceivably be out of the way where for, I don't know, close to 20 years in the mornings, we did take that with the old pier ride. Um, and so, you know, but that wasn't, that wasn't a fast enough way to get the, the ride started. People wanted to hammer from the gun. And so that needed to change. Yeah. You know, you got Strava to think about, my God, what are you going to do? Yeah, I did notice um, that, that the road diet did force that, that Tuesday, Thursday morning ride onto the, the path. At least at times, I saw some shots of those guys down there using the bike path. But that does create another issue down there for people who don't want to go as fast as a, as a group ride wants to go. And they're trying to get by, so... Again, it's a well, the bat- old code of, code of conduct there was that we rode at 16 miles an hour so that anybody yeah. who happened to be late to that ride could actually chase on. You know, the, the, the powers that be of that ride now, you know, take it as a badge of honor that if you're even a minute late, you're not going to catch the ride. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's been a change in, in the ethos of that ride. Um, and, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't served a lot of people well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that spot of that, that entire stretch of Vista Del Mar, it was a silly place to do a road diet. And, you know, the, the one thing for sure is that it's only worsened relations 
between drivers and cyclists. You know, it's like, great. Right. Now they hate us even more for something that we didn't even do. Right. I mean, Sign it, me up for that. I know. It started with a parking issue. The real problem was safety and people walking across the street and, and parking. That was the real problem there. And then in the end, I think, you know... The motorists have just got so much rage to begin with around here because it just takes forever to drive anywhere. When they see lanes taken away and suddenly cyclists are getting bike lanes, I can only imagine what they're putting together in their head. I mean, just probably just crazy thoughts. And M16. Yeah. But again, like I said, Fatty, this issue is not going away here in Los Angeles or any community for that matter. There There are plenty of spots in this city where they're planning more road diets. Uh, Councilman Mike Bonin himself is leaving in place some some stretches of road that where lanes have been reduced and bike lanes, protected bike lanes have been added. And again, they're going to keep looking at this issue and hope that they can, I don't know, get people to warm to the idea somehow. I don't I don't ever see Vista Del Mar ever getting <laughs> the treatment. It just it just went through again. But um, hmm. certainly there are some major boulevards and streets in this town and in other cities across America who. You know, this type of attitude may come. It's it's a zero sum. I forget the zero vision zero, I think, is what Mayor Garcetti calls this idea of saying, look, we're going to, in some cases, make it more difficult for motorists to operate in hopes of, you know, moving traffic and speeds out of residential and shopping areas and encouraging more walking and riding. And uh, as opposed to just selling the idea of riding a bike or walking, they're going to try to just make it happen. Hmm. I have such a country mouse versus city mouse. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, if you guys could see where I ride. Uh, you know, the, the, even I the idea of this. Map. Yeah, you should. Come visit. Is it like Beaver, Utah? Uh, I, Alpine has a gas station. Period. Nice. <laughs> That, that is our entire retail district, a gas station, and one of the, uh, I think there is a donut shop, uh, uh, which would be awesome, but the donuts aren't even that good. Oh. And there's a shave ice place during the summer. So that's pretty much, you know, that's Alpine, and that's your choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I have around 75 miles of single track that is carefully curated and maintained, in riding distance from my house and the most amazing road biking you've ever seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> and T1 internet speed. So I'm doing okay. Eh. Don't buy a house here, anyone. No this road, di- nice. no road diet needed in uh, Alpine, Utah. This is my spot. <laughs> um, <laughs> fantastic. What do you say we shift to other news? The 200th issue of dirt rag magazine, certainly happier uh, conversation there. Tell us a little bit about that, Patrick. Well, you know, the big thing here is that, you know, we're in an environment where independent publishers are struggling. Even big corporate publishers are struggling. You know, the magazine industry is off, off, off in every dimension that you can name. You know, paper has gotten more expensive. Advertising is down. Readership is down because there are so many more opportunities for people to consume media. It's a... It's a difficult landscape out there and that an independent publisher based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, not exactly a a publishing mecca, uh, has managed to get to 200 issues is really cause for some concern. 
uh, I'm not concerned, celebration. And yes. <laughs> you're going to be like, dude, what is your problem? <laughs> we got to take them out. Um, That's a good thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, the, the thing that I especially like, of course, is because it's a cycling magazine. And I've got a soft spot for them because uh, Maurice Tierney, the publisher, Mm-hmm. Gave me my very first freelance gig. The very Mine too. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. My first cycling related uh, freelance gig. Yes. I wrote a, a little piece called I'm a terrible downhiller. Uh, sounds like your, yours might have been more memorable than mine. I'm not going to yeah. mention what mine was about. But uh, <laughs> uh, as it happens, um, I did do a piece uh, for this 200th issue. It's an interview with Gary Fisher. Uh, I spent a morning, a lunch, and part of an afternoon with him in one of the more delightful conversations of my entire life. My gosh, that guy, you know, I mean, when every now and then- He's a treasure is what he is. Yeah. Gary Fisher is just a a fantastic human being. Yeah. You know, every now and then I meet somebody who I think, okay, I would march into battle for this guy. He gets it. I believe in him. His logic's impeccable. You know, his style is equally impeccable. Um, and he's Snappy just a, dresser. Yeah, yeah, he's enjoyable to be around. He's personable. He's diplomatic. Um, he's and yet, smart. He's a, yes. So smart. Yes. He, True and visionary. He said he, he really wanted 29-inch wheels when they first started doing mountain bikes. That's the wheel he wanted. He was for yeah. the 29-inch wheel. They couldn't find tires. So the whole interview is about all these different ways that Gary Fisher was right all along. Yes. How how the bike industry laughed at him at first, and then, you know, five, six, eight years later, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we are going to do that now. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool piece, but they've really pulled out all the stops for, you know, for the entire issue. And I would strongly encourage everyone to go out and pick up a copy of this. Even if you're not currently a mountain biker, this is just going to be a really neat magazine to read through. It's just chock full of passion and smart people. All right. Yeah, definitely pick up that issue. And not just for, but certainly, especially for uh, the Gary Fisher interview. I'm looking forward to reading that myself. Um, uh, One quick extra anecdote on Gary Fisher. When a couple of years ago, I asked him to put up a prize for a World Bicycle Relief Fundraiser I was doing, he volunteered to spend the day in San Francisco riding around in a bike that he would give the winner and just go basically going bar hopping on bikes for an afternoon. That, uh, that prize raised $30,000 in under 24 hours. People want to hang out with Gary Fisher. You can see why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Super fa- uh, super interesting guy. Uh, generous. Does great things. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to read that one. Uh, pick up issue number 200, folks. All right. Let's move on to a couple of new grasshoppers in uh, coming up. Yeah. So this is a big change for the Grasshopper Adventure Series here in Sonoma County. Traditionally, these have always been spring events starting somewhere between late January, early February and running into May or June, depending on the schedule. But for the first time ever, there will be two events this fall. There will be an eight hour mountain bike race at Lake Sonoma that is going to be just butt kickingly difficult. Hmm. It's a 7.2 mile loop. 
It's 90% single track. And in 7.2 miles, you will pick up 1,100 feet of elevation. So it's going to be crazy difficult. Um, all of Lake Sonoma is that way. This just carves out one little piece of what people have suffered on there before. But it's an mm. eight-hour race. So whew, it's going to really be something. That's September 16th. And then the weekend of October 14th and 15th, uh, there will be the Ukiah to Ukiah Hopper. It's a two-day event that will uh, involve camping. You'll ride out of uh, Ukiah uh, off to some, as yet, to me at least, unknown camping area. All your stuff will have been transported there ahead of you. So you will have ridden your ass off doing a proper grasshopper. Get there, camp, hang out, have a good time, wake up the next morning, ride back to Ukiah and uh promptly buy a coffin <laughs> i just like it when you said proper grasshopper <laughs> yeah so part. i am i am so excited for this one um I'm i would like that, to try one of those oh. the eight hour one sounds interesting to me you remember when we did 24 hour races it seems like eight hours is what is sort of like the what have we learned from 24-hour races, right? <laughs> eight hours we've is all, long enough. We've all agreed, I think, that you know, eight hours is challenging and a good test of your endurance, but not just painfully dumb. No, that's not nice. It, not just so <laughs> painful, right? I've I've done more 24 hours probably than than most people, so I get to say that it is just, I mean, it's hard and it is really in a lot of ways masochistic and I've ruined my wrists because of 24 hour racing, but yeah, well, no, um, eight hours, eight hours. Awesome. One of the other neat things about this is that, you know, one of the things that a lot of people really liked about the 24 hour format was doing team stuff, you know, two person or three person. And that will be one of the options here is that you can do it solo two person, uh, co-ed, Two-person men, two-person women, three-person men, three-person co-ed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there will be all sorts of ways that you can slice and or dice this. Fantastic. And I think there was one more that you wanted to point out, and that is a little shout-out for Buddy Pegs Takes the Lead. Yeah. So my paceline pick a couple weeks ago hmm? was this Kickstarter for a, yet another independent publisher, the people, uh, Scott and Janine Fitzgerald, who put out B is for Bicycle, and they're Kickstarter funded, and I am really psyched for them. Uh, so sometime this fall, in time for Christmas, there will be another kid's book about bicycles out. I have no idea what Buddy Pegs Takes the Lead really means. Uh, it's a it's going to be a story <laughs> about... Uh, uh, two dogs, if I under, if I recall correctly, two dogs who own a bike shop. Um, and so, oh. you know, I'm in, I, I, you know, I don't really care what the plot is. It's a book for kids. It's got drawings of animals running a bike shop. What more do you really need? I need to know what that title means. <laughs> then buy a book. But is is it, is it two guys, both named pegs? They're these buddies named peg. And <laughs> I don't know. No idea. Probably okay. not, since that seems a little bit absurd. Probably not. But, you know, it's a kid's book. Sometimes absurdity rules. All right. Guys, if you need us to workshop your title for you, just let us know. <laughs> you got the money. 
bring on the pace line guys. We'll fix it for you. We're awesome at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, one last little thing, and uh, Hottie, this one is for you. We've been zap rootering just the heck out of uh, the Sagan, uh, the Sagan versus Cavendish yeah. crash. Yeah. Uh, the debacle do we know do we know more is there more information on that certainly is um we all love video now don't we youtube this folks youtube the cavendish crash and put the word drainage or drainage ditch in there drainage cover you're gonna find a video out there now and it's the same race video we've all kind of been looking at it but someone's really decided to focus in on what happened to mark cavendish's front wheel just prior to him going into or getting next to Peter Sagan. And it certainly does look like Cavendish's front wheel slammed through a drain cover. You know, one of those grates that we all try to avoid as we're riding down the road or if we're in the gutter, right? You point him out if you're on the lead. Yep. It certainly looks like his front wheel first, as he was coming up alongside uh, Sagan, I should say, banged into one of these drainage covers, and then he went into Sagan, and then Sagan reacted by protecting himself with that right elbow. Not the other way around, not Sagan elbowing Cav down, but Cav coming into him because Cav had ridden over a grate. Some other industrious people have gone to Google Maps and Street View and found the exact point where Cav started to go down, and sure enough, there are drain covers. In fact, there are a series of drain covers down the right side of that road on that on stage four. So there's ah. compelling evidence. And had our commissaires, had the judges bothered to really sit down and take their time with this, this decision, maybe they would have found this out. In fact, looking back on this decision that stirred up so much controversy, the official who headed up the UCI's Tour de France jury that disqualified Zagan from the race following that crash has suggested that cycling needs commissaires examining video footage of sprints to make decisions on rule violations. Duh. I mean, every yeah. major sport now has embraced, has embraced video in some way. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey, all the big sports, right, have said, look, video is a way to help make games. And even cycling uses video, right, for finishes. I mean, with the, the uh, Edvald Bosenhagen finish? Yep. He, yeah. He, or was it his finish or was it another finish? At, or, no, Ron, one of the two. Video helped say who won that won the race. But something more critical, maybe even more pivotal to the green jersey title, was decided on people – what, this, uh, getting word of mouth about what happened in a high-speed crash and not sitting down and examining for several hours the video and the testimony? So, uh, yeah, video, yes, I vote yeah. <laughs> Look at video <laughs> would, before you disqualify somebody of any importance, let alone the world champion, but of any importance in the race. They deserve that. If there's yeah. video of it, let's have a look at it. Let's take a real long look at this. Yeah, I if hope- you're going to send somebody home, you better be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just it would have been right. nice. I mean, w- the jury, the, the court of public opinion uh, was swaying against the jury, the jury in this case by a long shot. And now the video evidence is just another stamp on that saying, boom. I mean, you've got to do, do better than this. 
it would be nice to have more than a couple angles anyway for a for a sprint finish right i mean there was the look overhead and see what you can through the trees shot and then there is the facing the uh, facing the racer shot Mm -hmm. i think we can afford a couple more gopros and put them out there (laughs) they've got two (laughs) helicopters i don't know use one of them you're right oh i suppose (laughs) all right let's get our dander down and talk about what is up for our pace line picks Mm. Indeed. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with you, Hottie. You are. Well, yep, whether you want to or not. Oh, I, I'm ready to go. I'm always ready to go. You know, <laughs> you one sure of the most are. common questions a dedicated cyclist will get from someone who rides very little or not at all: How can you sit on that seat? Doesn't your butt get sore? <laughs> the answer we give usually combines a knowledge of anatomy and toughness. Well, you see, if you sit properly, your sit bones come in contact with the saddle instead of soft tissue. And if you ride enough, your contact points toughen up and you can pretty much ride all you want without any discomfort. Hmm. What a line of bull. Don't believe me? (laughs) Uh, Just ask Adam Hansen of the Lotto Sudal team. Adam just wrapped up a little ride they call the Tour de France. He has completed 18 grand tours in a row. But the 18th was in jeopardy on stage 19 when a little bump on his bum turned into Mont Ventoux. In the last week of the tour, Hansen developed a saddle sore he described as the size of a golf ball. He did not have it lanced out of fear of infection. He rode stage 19, 225 kilometers, by shifting his weight from one thigh to another to avoid suspending his 170-pound frame on a massive crotch pimple. Quote, you pedal and sit on your thigh. You pedal and ride on your other thigh. It's not very nice, explained Hansen. But Hansen said he could not pull out because he was committed to helping Andre Greipel get a stage win. And stage 19 was a perfect opportunity. Well, Greipel did not win stage 19. In fact, he didn't win anything this tour. Meanwhile, leadout man Hansen is in the pack, balancing himself on his inner thigh and pedaling across the French countryside. Hansen is, of course, not the first to be overwhelmed by a butt boil during a major cycling event. Legends have suffered this fate, too. Eddie Merckx not being able to ride the 76 Tour de France, saddle sore. Sean mm-hmm. Kelly withdrawing two days from the end of the 87 Vuelta while wearing the leader's jersey. And Yvonne Basso missing the entire Giro with a massive saddle sore. But in my book... Hansen's got them all. He finished the stage and the tour along with his riding partner, Butkus. Uh, a lot of people think the most combative rider award should have gone to Hansen's teammate, Thomas DeGent. Uh, no. Any man who can fight through that kind of agony should walk away with something other than a pain in the ass. So next time you are feeling like you're a hard man on the bike, go to your golf bag, pull out a Titleist, Smear it with embrocation, stuff it down your shorts, get on your bike, and ride. Bet you don't make it 25 feet, let alone 225K. Adam Hansen, you are my pace line pick. Oof. Okay, I got I to gotta add two quick things here. One, I have ridden an entire race side saddle due to a ginormous boil. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was really, really not fun. Yeah, a 45-minute crit all out uh uh the one down in san diego uh barrio logan oh yeah yeah on a hillside yeah yeah 
Yeah. Did the entire thing side saddle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's somebody else. I don't think else. you know what side saddle means, dude. <laughs> that's that's the way of. women ride horses. Or yeah, I know, I know, but it was okay. <laughs> I do like the idea tilted. of you actually sitting and riding a bike side saddle, but. just pedaling one side. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I was putting out about that much power on the other side. Um, in 1992, Frankie Andreo was the only remaining American in the Tour de France. I believe it was 92 and not 93. He was the one remaining American in the tour, and he had a ginormous boil himself, and they cut a hole in his saddle so that he could finish the race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Mercy. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I bet there is not a single Paceline listener who is not aware of his behind right now. <laughs> Everyone's squirming in their in their seats because of We're us. We're all going, hmm, oh, that was nice. Yay, Paceline for the win. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Hottie. Nice one. How about you, Patrick? What you got? So, um, well, uh, I guess uh, confessions are in order. I have ADD. Uh, I learned this last fall. Uh, because we came to understand that my son, Philip, is ADHD. Uh, I may have the H part, but when you ride a bike, I don't know, you know, 8 or 12 or 14 hours in a week, it's kind of hard to get a handle on that part. (laughs) Uh, Hmm. But one thing that has been interesting to me is that Specialized formed a nonprofit, the Specialized Foundation, that has actually been funding studies on ADHD and how exercise can help uh, temper or eliminate the need for medication. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but there was a one minute spot that ran during the Tour de France uh, by the Specialized Foundation called Outride ADHD. And um, wow, (sighs) Um, it really blew me away. I mean, I've been I've been aware that they've been doing this work and I've been following it and working on a piece that it just needs a lot of extra work and has been on a back burner gradually getting added to. Um, But it was really touching to me because it it really brings home what it is uh, to have a brain wired that way. Um, And I you're talking about the 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 narrative the kid does. I mean, he yeah. talked mm-hmm. about yeah. like being confused in class and not be the teacher was trying to move forward and he gets stuck kind of yeah. circling around his himself and his thoughts and how confusing it was for him. And um, all the while they're showing kids riding around outside, you know, at nighttime with lights on. Yeah. Um and so it's it's showing him uh in another sphere where he's, you know, obviously very competent and confident. And that's one of the things that's typically missing for kids with ADHD is that because they have so much trouble at school, uh, it, it erodes their self-confidence uh, and sense of competence. And I, I sat down with my son, Philip, and watched it. Pretty heavy stuff for us. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic spot and a fantastic foundation. I really got to appreciate uh, what Specialized is doing and, uh, and you know, Definitely a big uh, tip of the hat from the pace line for that. I'm going to go ahead and now I don't even want to do mine because mine's silly and dumb. That's but my right. We could use my that pa- right now. My pace line pick is Uncrustables. Do you guys even know what those are? Hmm. 
I have an eight-year-old boy. Of course I do. Oh. Okay. So Uncrustables are these abominations of peanut butter sandwiches that come in a cellophane bag. They uh, they are a round piece of white or pair of pieces of white bread with some peanut butter and jelly in there and then sealed in a cellophane bag you keep them in the freezer and they are an awesome jersey pocket food i don't know if they meant this when they created the uncrustable but it fits perfectly in your jersey pocket and on a hot summer day when you start a ride you put one of those in there and they're frozen you know about the time you need it it's thawed out it's soft it has a bunch of peanut butter lots of jelly super delicious 320 calories in one little peanut butter sandwich that is not going to make a mess because it is in this aforementioned cellophane bag 17 grams of fat uh like i said 320 calories these are not something i would give to any child but if you're on a hundred mile bike ride an uncrustable is a fantastic, cheap source of calories. That is my baseline pick. Mm, I just wrote that down. There, there you go. Um, I, I, I might have to start stop by Target on the way home. You get a box of twenty for like three bucks at Costco. <laughs> What's coming up on RKP? Well, I just published my review of the uh, Boyd Cycling Canuga Wheels. Uh, this is a 29er wheel set, also comes in 27.5, and $800 for the wheel set. And they have proven to be absolutely bomb-proof. I, I don't think I've ever fallen more in love with a less expensive wheel set. You know, normally I'm getting blown away by something from Zip or Envy that is carbon fiber and crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those occasions where these things perform so well for under a thousand dollars it's like man why aren't more people doing stuff like this but you know fortunately for boyd there aren't more companies doing stuff like that patrick uh, i, I yeah. read the review and can i ask a question real quick um yeah the the depth of the rim do you need a longer valve core for that rim do you it know it comes with valve cores so it doesn't matter do, but if i need to put a tube in it would i need a longer valve core tube probably probably okay okay it is a fair, yeah. for an aluminum rim. I was like, that's pretty deep rim for a non-carbon rim. It must have some nice centrifugal rolling type force to it. You know, I I'm so quick on uh, so slow on the acceleration that you know if it takes a little longer to wind these up than other wheels, I'm not really aware of that. Um, I'm saying once they're rolling, those those things yeah, must roll yeah. good. But yeah, okay, it's. Uh, the big thing for me is that they handle so well because it's a really, really stiff wheel. And, you know, I haven't been able to knock them out of true. Not that I've wanted to knock them out of true, but, <laughs> you know, uh, you I just hard. imagine you banging into curb after curb. Well, I'd like to point it out in the review, Patrick. I mean, certain rims, especially aluminum rims, sometimes they have the squish factor. The bigger, the, the 29-inch wheels, the one thing 29ers have always suffered from at least if you buy an aluminum rim, is you can feel those guys flex. That's why I think a lot of people lean towards, if they can afford it, carbon. Like I run carbon on a couple of my 29ers, and it does. It firms up the steering. It makes your tracking better. 
But it's nice to hear that somebody has kind of cracked that nut. Like, no, you can build a lower price aluminum rim that keep it stiff and 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 make it handle and track properly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, and these these really that that flex that you talk about it's been something that i've disliked as well because it it affects the bike's handling yeah. in turns and i'm not getting that from these wheels so Sweet. also uh the the new boa equipped shimano shoes the rc9 and the xc9 my review of those is up but probably more interesting to most folks my review of the allied cycle works uh, uh alpha all road has gone live and that's certainly been getting some attention i'm in love with this bike man uh i called it a swiss army bike it does <laughs> almost everything you would need the one thing I, I you know it's not really completely equipped for is super gnarly single track but mm. i could i mean i could get my garage to two bikes this and a mountain bike i could conceivably do that i don't wish to sell my other bikes but this one, this is one bike that could do everything except what a full suspension mountain bike does. I'm going to add one more thing for the recommendation, Patrick, and that is I am going to be putting out the first episode of the Paceline Tandem. And if you're already subscribed to the Paceline, you're going to get it automatically. What it is is something like what I did back when I did the Fatty Cast, long-form one-on-one interviews. And this first one I'm going to leave it as a little bit of a surprise. It's not someone you've heard of before, but it's a before and after of doing the Great Divide Race. I think you're going to find it to be a very interesting conversation. So look for that. Just subscribe to the Paceline. You'll get it automatically. And I think we're going to go ahead and say that is it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Once again, if you have not subscribed, make sure you do. Rate us and review us in all the places that you normally would. Let us know what you think. For Huddy and Patrick, I'm Fatty. I can't say our names, and you've been listening to The Pace Line. Oh, apparently I have not turned off my ringer. Let's start this. For reals, we start this over. I'm keeping all of this, this you know. Of course you are. You're going to haunt us with this. (laughs) 